Oh, humans. Welcome back to ASM Murder. It's a sheer delight to have our paths converge once more in this vast array of universes. I am your ever-enigmatic host, The Guru, currently standing amidst the infinite shelves of a library unlike any other. What's so special about it, you ask? What a handsome question. It certainly looks like any other library, doesn't it? Always full of books going this away and that. The smell of old tomes and yellowed pages. But in all the chaos, there has to be some order, some structure. Even if you don't precisely understand that order. Tell me, fellow humans, don't these halls go on for some time? Don't they appear almost infinite? That's because they are fellow humans. This is a multidimensional library. Its walls lined with the chronicles of countless realities, each volume containing wisdom, tales, and enigmas beyond our wildest comprehension. Within this boundless trove of knowledge, we found the perfect ambiance to discuss today's heart-wrenching mystery. The serene silence, occasionally punctuated by the gentle rustling of pages, seems an apt backdrop as we delve into a story from a world that may parallel your own. A story that has haunted countless souls, leaving an indelible mark. You see, this multidimensional library, my fellow humans, is not just a repository of written words, but a sanctum where lost stories find refuge. Just like the Beaumont children who disappeared without a trace, leaving behind questions that echo through time and space. <laughs> that rhymed. It is in such a setting where histories and mysteries coalesce, that we search for fragments of their tale. What could be more fitting for a story that extends beyond the pages of newspapers, beyond the grief of a nation, into the annals of unsolved mysteries? So, as we navigate the labyrinthine shells teeming with hidden truths, let's ponder the misting chapters in the story of Jane, Arna, and Grant Beaumont. This is episode 32 of ASMR. As mentioned earlier in this installment, we traverse the enigmatic and unsettling case of the Beaumont children, Jane, Arna, and Grant. Three young souls who vanished on Australia Day in 1966, a disappearance that has baffled investigators and captured the public's imagination for decades. As we sit amidst ancient tomes and future predictions, let's take a moment to unravel a story that, like many here, still cries out for resolution. But don't cry out. After all, this is a library. So, 
keep up with me as we make our way through this library, for our journey is just beginning. Amidst the labyrinthine shells of this extraordinary library, where each book is a gateway to another realm, and each page a fragment of someone's fate, our conversation gains a kind of gravitas that only such an awe-inspiring setting can provide. This library, my friends, serves as an eternal repository for the solved and unsolved, the celebrated and the overlooked, the beautiful and the dreadful aspects of existence. It's as if the very walls here hum with a somber understanding of life's complexities, making it a place most fitting to explore a story as puzzling and haunting as that of the Beaumont children. In the soft glow of my eternal lamp, the flames seem to defy physics, flickering in rhythm with the mood of our discussion. We can't help but feel a little closer to the enigma we'll dissect today. After all, this is not just a tale of a simple day at the beach gone unimaginably wrong. This is a narrative that challenges our understanding of safety, community, and family. Therefore, the gravity of our setting mirrors the gravity of our topic, and the vastness of this library reminds us of the gaping holes in our knowledge that we seek to fill. But, before we proceed, a word of caution. These stories we are about to unravel touch on the tragic and sensitive nature of missing children. We will also be talking about physical assault as well as the dead. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Now, let's draw back the cosmic curtain and begin. The Beaumont family, comprising of father, Jim, mother, Nancy, and their children, Jane, Arna, and Grant, were a picture-perfect embodiment of the Australian suburban dream in the 1960s. They lived in Somerton Park, a respectable suburb of Adelaide, South Australia, Jim was a product of the post-war economic boom, working as a respectable businessman and Nancy, a dedicated homemaker, embodying the ideas of family life at the time. Adelaide, often referred to as the City of Churches, was in many ways a large country town. Despite being the state capital, its population hovered around a mere 600,000 in the 1960s. Crime was infrequent, the atmosphere was communal, and it was the kind of place where people didn't feel the need to lock their doors at night. Children played outside freely and neighbors knew one another. The general ethos was one of trust and a kind of innocence. The sandy beaches were frequented by families and the coastline was considered a sanctuary for young and old alike. Such was the stage where the Beaumont children grew up a far cry from the hard, skeptical edges that would later encroach upon the community. This is important to remember for the event that we're about to discuss ripped through not just a family, but an entire way of life. It shattered illusions of invincibility and caused an entire community to question its values, its sense of safety, and indeed its collective innocence. In this multidimensional library where chronicles of simple joy and unimaginable sorrow rest side by side, we could almost hear the faint laughter of children playing on the beaches in 1960s Adelaide, unaware of the tectonic shift that was soon to shake their world. 
It serves as a poignant reminder that life's most profound stories often arise from the most ordinary circumstances, forever altering the texture of the everyday. On January 26, 1966, Australia Day, the sun rose over Adelaide as it always did, casting its golden rays on a community in celebration. Jim and Nancy Beaumont had plans for the day, and it seemed like a perfect opportunity for the children to enjoy some leisure time at the beach. The eldest, Jane, was nine years old, mature and responsible for her age, and considered more than capable of looking after her younger siblings, Arna, age seven, and Grant, age four. Given the close-knit nature of the community and the commonplace practice of children going out on their own, it didn't raise any eyebrows. The children dressed in their swimsuits, packed their bags, and left home around 10 a.m. They boarded a public bus for a five-minute ride to Gleneld Beach, a spot they had frequented many times before. Little did anyone know that these seemingly mundane details would later serve as breadcrumbs in a trail that led nowhere. A timeline of events is as follows. 10 a.m. The Beaumont children board a bus to Glenelg Beach. 10.15 a.m. Estimated time of arrival at the beach. 11 a.m. They were seen by a postman who knew the children well, frolicking in the shallow waters and apparently joyful and in high spirits. 12 p.m. Seen buying snacks at a nearby kiosk with a one-pound note, a detail that struck investigators later as they didn't leave home with that amount of money. 3 p.m. They should have returned home. This was the planned time for their return. And 3.45 p.m. Nancy Beaumont becomes anxious and contacts the police. As the sun began to set, the veil of innocence that had long shrouded Adelaide began to lift, revealing a stark, cold reality. Children who had left their homes filled with the joys of youth had not returned, and nobody knew why or how. Here in this interdimensional library, among tomes of mysteries solved and unsolved, the clock seems to tick a little louder, as if counting down the seconds that separated the Beaumont children from their life that they knew to the chilling uncertainty that followed. It's a grim reminder that the boundary between the everyday and the unfathomable is sometimes just a moment, a bus ride, a wave goodbye, a smile that unknowingly becomes a final memory. In the wake of the children's disappearance, the Adelaide police sprang into immediate action, a sense of urgency permeating the air. Roadblocks were set up and police divers scoured the depths of the waters near Gleenelk Beach. Search parties combed through every grain of sand, every bush, every possible place a child might hide or be hidden. A city that had been in celebration mode for Australia Day 
was plunged into a state of collective anxiety. The media quickly picked up the story and it exploded into a frenzy of headlines, radio bulletins, and televised reports. Photos of Jane, Arna, and Grant were displayed everywhere, their smiling faces becoming a haunting and constant reminder of the tragedy that had befallen the community. Leaflets were distributed, billboards were set up, and rewards were offered. It wasn't just a local story anymore, it was a national crisis. Public response was nothing short of overwhelming. People from all walks of life, compelled by a mix of dread and hope, volunteered to join the search. Donations poured in to fund the efforts. Psychics and detectives offered their services, and the case drew attention from across the globe. This was one of Australia's largest police investigations, and yet, the more they looked, the less they found. No evidence, no witnesses, just a thickening plot and a growing list of questions. It was a time when trust eroded and parents held their children a bit closer, eyes darting with newfound suspicion. Here in this library, you can almost hear the whispers of the past, murmurs of theories, speculations, and the cries of a community whose sense of safety was shattered. Here among the ancient scrolls and ever-changing screens, it serves as a sobering reminder that sometimes even the most fervent searches, the most rigorous investigations, yield no answers. Over the years, a multitude of suspects and theories have popped up like unsightly weeds in an otherwise serene garden, each promising a revelation but delivering only more questions. One popular theory was that the children had been abducted by someone they knew, possibly even a family friend. This line of thought gained traction due to the apparent ease with which the children seemed to have vanished without drawing public attention. Another theory is tied to the construction site near Glenelg Beach. It was suggested that the children might have wandered over the construction site, met with an accident, and were buried to cover up the tragedy. This theory gained a lot of public attention and many called for the area to be excavated, though no conclusive evidence was ever found. As for persons of interest, a few names have repeatedly been cited over the years. Bevin Spencer von Einem, a convicted murderer, was considered at one point but later dismissed. Then there was Alan Max McIntyre and his son, who came under scrutiny when a book implicated them based on accounts from McIntyre's other son, but nothing conclusive could be determined. Another man, known as the Saturn Man, due to his mention of the planet Saturn to several children at the beach, was considered briefly. He was said to be in the company of the children, but no one could ever identify him, making him an enigma wrapped in a riddle. All these theories and suspects have been the subject of countless articles, books, and even films, yet despite the public's unending fascination and the dogged effects of law enforcement, the case remains an open wound, a mystery etched in the collective consciousness of Australia. It's a story that refuses to reach its final chapter much like the many tales that inhabit this boundless library. 
In such a place we are reminded that some mysteries are vast, complex, and perhaps destined to remain unsolved. The disappearance of the Beaumont children didn't just leave an indelible mark on the family. It sent shockwaves through the community and the entire nation of Australia. The carefree attitude towards letting children roam freely was drastically altered. Parents started to question the safety of their neighborhoods, instilling a sense of collective caution that would permeate for years to come. Children were no longer seen playing unaccompanied in the streets as often, and a cultural shift towards more protective parenting began to emerge. The Beaumont family itself was shattered. Nancy and Jim Beaumont, the parents, moved away from the home they were living in at the time of the disappearance, partly in hope that the children might one day return, and partly to escape the painful memories attached to every corner of their previous life. Legislatively, while there weren't immediate changes specifically linked to the Beaumont case, their disappearance became a catalyst for broader conversations about child safety and led to heightened awareness about the need for quicker and more organized responses to missing children reports. The case is often cited in discussions advocating for stricter laws and systems to protect children from potential harm. The Beaumont children's disappearance became a seminal case in the study of missing children cases in Australia and has been cited in numerous child safety campaigns. Its impact lingers, not just as a heart-wrenching mystery, but as a turning point that forever altered the collective consciousness regarding child safety. Well, since we are here, my fellow humans, ensconced within a realm that knows no bounds, Let's take a dimensional detour. It's true that the tale of the Beaumont children leaves us with a void, an emptiness that stems from questions unanswered and justice unserved. Yet, even as we stand in this multidimensional library, another story of an equally elusive enigma beckons us from a different corner of the universe. Hmm... How about Charles Miller? From the sandy shores of Adelaide, we shift our focus to the neon glow of an American stage where Charles Miller, a maestro of melody, also met a cryptic end. Though details are scant, the mystery is as thick as the bass lines he once played. Let us extend our journey through the unexplained and venture into a tale that may be brief in detail, but profound in its puzzlement. Shall we? Charles Miller was not just any musician. He was a linchpin in the iconic band known as War, a collective known for transcending musical genres and offering the world timeless classics like Lowrider, why Can't We Be Friends and Spill the Wine? All classics. If you haven't, you really should indulge. His saxophone breathed life into tunes that have since become anthems of an era. Yet, in a chilling turn of events, reminiscent of the darker notes in a musical composition, Charles Miller's life was inexplicably cut short, shrouded in enigma and undefined melodies. 
Before we peel back the layers of mystery surrounding Charles Miller's untimely death, let us take a journey through the tapestry of his life. Born into a family with music in its veins, Miller's upbringing was like a prelude to a magnificent symphony. Growing up in a home where melodies replaced conversations and rhythms punctuated the daily routine, it was almost predestined that Charles would make music the mission of his life. His early years were a potpourri of musical experimentation, venturing into jazz corridors and soulful lanes before he found his ultimate calling. It was as if the universe conspired to bring him into the sphere of war, a band that sought to defy categorization as passionately as Miller did himself. In war, Charles wasn't just another musician. He was an alchemist, transferring mere notes into emotive experiences. As the saxophonist, he helped shape the band's revolutionary sound, adding depth and dimension to tracks that would go on to become not just hits, but anthems. Lowrider wasn't just a song, it was a movement. Why can't we be friends? Not merely a tune, but a mantra. And spill the wine? Not just a hit, but a tale spun in the rich tapestry of war's diverse musical influences. As war's fame skyrocketed, touching heights seldom reached by bands of their genre, Charles Miller found himself standing on a pedestal that he built with relentless passion and unparalleled talent. Yet, even as he soared in the world of music, few could have predicted the sharp descent that awaited him, cutting short not just his career, but life itself. Even as Charles Miller basked in the glow of professional highs, fate was scripting a different tale, a much darker one. The year was 1980, and Miller found himself on a path that seemed to contradict the serenity of his saxophone notes. Though details are shrouded in mystery, what we do know is that Miller became entangled in a series of events that eventually led to his untimely death. The setting was Los Angeles, a city that has witnessed its share of both dreams fulfilled and dreams shattered. Miller was in his own neighborhood, a space where he should have been most secure, yet on that ill-fated night, safety proved to be an illusion. According to police reports, Charles Miller was found dead near his home, the victim of a fatal stabbing. He was 41 years old. The key persons involved remained as mysterious as the circumstances themselves. Despite a significant investigation at the time, the assailant was never identified, making Miller's death one of the tragic unsolved mysteries in the annals of music history. To this day, questions loom large. Was it a random act of violence? A targeted hit, or something more personal. It's unsettling how a man so full of life and melody was silenced in such a jarring dissonance of events, his killer never brought to justice. It was as if Miller played his final note, a haunting refrain that still echoes in the minds of those who seek answers to his baffling end. The Los Angeles Police Department acted quickly upon discovery of Charles Miller's lifeless body, the crime scene was cordoned off, evidence was collected, and witnesses were questioned. Yet, despite these immediate actions, the investigators found themselves mired in complications that would stymie the pursuit of justice. For one, there were glaring limitations in the form of lack of reliable witnesses. This wasn't the case of a high-profile celebrity murder with paparazzi swarming the scene. 
Miller was found in his own neighborhood, away from prying eyes and rolling cameras. Furthermore, those who claimed to have seen or heard anything provided conflicting accounts, muddying the waters of an already convoluted case. Another obstacle was the absence of surveillance technology. Unlike today's saturated environment of CCTV cameras and advanced forensic tools, the early 80s presented a barren landscape when it came to technological advances in criminal investigations. Evidence was limited to what could be seen, heard, or physically collected at the scene. No video footage existed to help piece together the puzzle of Miller's tragic end. As the days turned into weeks, the weeks into months, the trail grew cold. Leads that initially seemed promising fizzled out, taking with them the hope of finding Miller's killer. It was as if the assailant had vanished into the same shadows from which they'd emerged, leaving behind only the haunting notes of a life and talent cut short. The news of Charles Miller's untimely death reverberated far beyond the boundaries of Los Angeles. The music magazines and newspapers carried the headlines, each one a grim coda to a life lived in rhythm and blues. Journalists scrambled to piece together the available facts, though the scarcity of concrete information often led to speculative and sensational reports that did little to aid the investigation. The public's reaction was one of collective shock and sorrow. Fans left flowers and notes outside concert venues where war had played, makeshift memorials for a musician whose talents had touched countless lives. Radio stations ran tributes, filling the airwaves with war's iconic songs, each one now tinged with an added layer of melancholy. Within the music community, the loss was palpable. Fellow musicians expressed their grief and disbelief in interviews and public statements. Collaborators and contemporaries alike mourned the unfillable hole left in the tapestry of the music scene. Miller was not just a saxophonist. He was a vital part of a band that had defined an era, a musical innovator whose contributions could not be easily replicated. Fan clubs, organized vigils, and tribute concerts began to spring up. Albums sold out as people sought to hold on to a piece of a world now forever changed. For many, Miller's music had been the soundtrack of their lives. His death felt like a betrayal of the worst kind, an abrupt end to a melody that was supposed to go on. Heck, even your old pal Gru sung his songs under smoke-covered twinkling lights at one time. In another universe... Conversations turned philosophical. If a man of such talent and influence could be snuffed out so senselessly, what did that say about the fragility of life itself? And so, as the months passed and the case grew colder, Charles Miller's legacy solidified into something larger than life, a symbol of art's transcendent power, as well as its vulnerability to the cruel and inexplicable whims of life. In the vacuum left by the scant details surrounding Charles Miller's death, theories and speculations began to mushroom, each more convoluted than the last. Whispers of jealousy and rivalry within the music industry circulated, painting a picture of a cutthroat world where talent was as much a liability as it was an asset. 
Some argued that Miller had run afoul of the darker aspects of the music scene, though evidence for this was purely circumstantial. Others wondered if Miller's death was linked to personal disputes or enmities. Could an estranged friend or relative be responsible? Or perhaps the answer was more sinister, wrapped up in the intricate web of organized crime, which was often linked to the music industry in tales both real and imagined. However, again, hard evidence was lacking, and the police could do little but follow leads that invariably turned into dead ends. There was also the more mundane theory that Miller's death was simply a random act of violence, the tragic consequence of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But for many, this was the hardest theory to accept. The idea that a life so dynamic could be ended so arbitrarily was almost too much to bear. To this day, the mystery surrounding Miller's death remains an open wound in the music community. Though many years have passed, the questions remained. Who killed Charles Miller? Why was he targeted? And could a talent so bright truly be extinguished by something as pedestrian as chance or as malevolent as envy? As we turn the pages in this multidimensional library, it's a grim reminder that some stories don't have endings. Not yet, at least. They remain unfinished, like a song abruptly cut off waiting for someone somewhere to write the final verse. As we prepare to depart this temporal space, the eternal flame that accompanies us continues to burn, a testament to the enduring nature of curiosity and the never-ending quest for understanding. I thank you, my fellow humans, for sharing your time with me. As I always say, time is most precious. We must never squander it. Should you wish to wander further between episodes, I invite you to join me on social media or visit my website where the flame of curiosity never dims. You can find me at www.murderpod.net. That's M-U-R-D-E-R-P-O-D.net. You can find me at your Facebooks and your Twitters and even your TikToks. You can also find my podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast fix. I will leave you at the library door. It's too close to dawn, and as I've mentioned, the sun is no friend to a guru. Let's remember that the separation is but temporary. There are countless stories yet to explore, questions to pose, and universes to traverse. Consider this not a farewell, but an invitation. An invitation to meet me in another chapter, another volume, another reality. From your undying confidant, the Gru, I bid you a temporary adieu, but fear not, for the eternal flame remains, waiting to illuminate our next enthralling journey. Until next time, please be kind to yourselves and be good to each other. This is your friendly neighborhood Gru, signing off. <laughs>